Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Next Level. I'm JVL here with my best friend, Sarah Longwell, and a very good acquaintance and colleague, Sonny Bunch, both of The Bulwark. This is an inside joke because I've known Sonny since he was in high school. Thanks for being with us. Please go and hit the five stars, hit the subscribe, do the thumbs up. I saw somebody out there on Reddit complaining that I ask you people to do this. And I thought that was really big of them since we don't charge for this. We don't put advertising on our website. They, But they're really pissed off that we take 10 seconds at the top of the show to ask people to support us in minimal ways. You're going to fight with a random commenter on Reddit? Yes. Yes, it's I am. Time. This is why yes, JBL is best when he's not on Twitter, by the way. JVL is a living version of that meme, that like cartoon where the guy says to his wife, I can't go to bed. Somebody on the Internet is wrong. Right. This like, is why I stay off of Twitter. <laughs> and I do all that on my podcast where they can't talk back to me. OK, uh, guys, it's a big morning. We woke up to news that Chris Licht. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, because otherwise it'll be awkward, is out as the CEO of CNN. This is amazing on a bunch of different levels because this is one of the rare cases where a journalist killed a guy's career. Doesn't happen all that often. Tim Alberta, friend of the Bulwarks, published a 15,000-word profile of Licht in The Atlantic last week. And it was so devastating that it was clear from the outset Licht would not be able to survive the publication of this thing. Let's talk about it because most of my thoughts are about Tim Alberta. I would be curious as to what you guys think about Chris Licht and CNN and the direction of everything. Sarah, thoughts? I mean, I don't want to take anything away from the great Tim Alberta, who I think is one of the great journalists of our time. However, I do not think it was his piece that killed Chris Licht. Okay. I think it was all the things contained in the piece <laughs> uh, that had clearly been going on for some time that killed Chris Licht. And what Alberta did was package them in an unreal way and... If you're the kind of person who is working out at the gym, this is one of the most evocative scenes in the piece, you're working out at the gym and like you're lifting heavy things and you go, let's see Jeff Zucker do this. Yeah, uh, doing burpees. Look at that. Uh, <laughs> I think that maybe your head isn't in the right place to be stewarding CNN on this mission. And I think that like, that was obviously clear to everybody, and it's why they were all willing to talk to Tim Alberta. Like, people don't talk to Tim Alberta and say all of these things without things already being sort of catastrophically wrong. So I think this was a big last drop in a bucket that put things over the edge. Uh, how much do you think the Trump town hall contributed to this? Because yeah. I think it's a very, very large part of it. Which is, again, what all of us crazy people were saying when CNN announced that it was going to do a town hall. We said, this is a terrible thing. You shouldn't do it. This is bad for America, and it's not journalism, and blah, 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 blah. And people are like, oh, you never Trump grifters. Uh. Well, guess what? It was bad for everybody. I actually totally CNN. disagree. I think it's, I think you Me have, too. I think there's no reason. Really? Yeah, uh, I, I feel bad for Chris Licht because I think CNN is in a terrible business position right now in that it is this the is, best. by the way, the most contrarian take you've ever posted. Sonny, team Licht. <laughs> it, the, the problem with CNN is that it is, I think, the best straight journalism outlet on cable news. The problem is nobody actually wants straight journalism. They want teams. They want MSNBC on the left, they want Fox on the right. And there's the airport crowd in the middle. That are being held captive in an airport. They don't they don't show up for like regular viewing, right? So they're they're in the airport they're watching. And I feel bad about this because again, I like I like all the stuff on CNN. Again, when I watch cable news, I watch CNN. 
But I only very rarely watch CNN because I only watch during breaking news. I watch during January 6th when I'm like, wait, what's happening at the Capitol? What's going on there? I got to I got to check. I watch uh, on election nights. I don't even watch the town halls because I'm just going to read about them the next morning. Um, but that being said, I think it's insane to say that CNN, the straight news network, can't talk to the presumptive frontrunner of the GOP in 2024. That's an insane thing to say. Like the idea that you can't. Did I say that? Well, I, I, I mean, you, we're talking about how he shouldn't have done the town hall and they shouldn't have. They shouldn't have given him access to live air with an audience stocked full of Trump super fans. Okay. I think with a guy like Trump giving him access to live air, which is, by the way, something Fox doesn't want to do anymore because they're worried that he's going to say something that'll get them crosswise with defamation again, right? But this is cable news. Cable news, like, is at its best when it's live, and that's when it's most interesting. And look, again... I just don't see how you can do a series of town halls with uh, potential Republican nominees and not talk to Donald Trump. That's like just is what it is. Now, maybe you don't put Caitlin Collins in that situation. You put Jake Tapper there. I don't know. But like, I oh, why? Because he's a man. I mean, I'm just saying he's got more experience. (laughs) I don't know. The idea that you can't do that. And again, as Sarah says, it's not so much the story itself that that killed him. It's the everything in it. I mean, I think his bigger mistake was putting Don Lemon in that ridiculous morning show like every every individual decision has been bad kind of and that kind of accumulates to him getting fired um which again i think is bad and i don't i don't think that there's anybody that is going to come into cnn and fix it in a way that allows cnn to maintain what it is which is as the kind of straightforward straight news cable alternative to fox and msnbc i just don't i don't see how that works in this landscape this town hall thing the town hall is like a what a a function of Lick's fundamental misunderstanding of how he was going to approach this and, and a fundamental misunderstanding of, of where the audience was. Right. So listening to him, he has like a no labels view of politics. Right. He thinks, well, we've alienated these Republicans and there's this audience that really I, I move in this these circles of elites where, you know, people, you know, he kept I just want they just want the truth. And I was talking to John Malone just the other day. (laughs) Yeah. And he just, when I was listening to him, I understood. I actually think that his heart was in kind of a good place of like, well, we can't dismiss half the country. You can't alienate half the country and treat them like idiots. And our coverage can't be sort of knee jerk, reflexive, just sort of anti-Trump drumbeat to sort of gin up the same stuff that MSNBC does. Like we need to carve out this this space in the center. As a theory, I understand why that's attractive. As somebody who has also tried to think about how one executes in that space, it is deeply difficult, in large part because of the total capture of the Republican Party by Trump. And so you're saying, well, we've got to have Republicans on the channel, but we're not going to put on anybody who puts forward lies about the election. It's like, boom, 95% of elected (laughs) Republicans, uh, I mean, not 95%, but like a a huge swath of elected Republicans. And so you find yourself in this Chris Sununu lane of cable news that doesn't have an audience, just like Sununu doesn't have any voters. And like, that was his fundamental misconception, I think. And yeah, no, I mean, he he was trying to create a network that appeals to me. Mm -hmm. I am not a representative of anybody. Or me, and, and that's what we don't do, as you mentioned. Right. We don't watch a lot of cable no. news. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Cable news shouldn't exist. Cable news is bad. Uh, and I don't want to sound like I'm I'm either pro or anti-licked. I have no dog in this fight. 
I wonder if the real villain here isn't Jeffrey Zaslav. So Licht was a very, very odd choice for this job because he's just a just a showrunner, right? He's executive producer of Scarborough and then of the, the Colbert show. And going from that to running a gigantic, sprawling news operation with, you know, I, it's just it's a category jump. It's like going and picking a barista at Starbucks to be head of like uh, the Folgers group or something, you know, some gigantic coffee empire, which is, you know, sourcing from beans from 50 different countries and packaging and dealing with uh, sales and marketing and all that. So Zaslav understood that because of the level of his debt load, that he was going to have to make horrible cuts everywhere in the Warner Brothers Discovery Empire. Doing that is going to make you massively unpopular. Why not just hire a guy who's not really cut out for the job, who's basically an expendable, uh, expendable to be your patsy? And Chris Licht is his patsy to go in and fire a bunch of people and make a bunch of changes. And then when the, the hatred internally is at maximum, you can fire him. And then at some point, you bring in somebody else. No? Is he the fall guy? It's what Succession calls a pain sponge. What is Succession? Is that a, I see people oh. mention this all the time. It's it's a show that it's a show that fewer people watch than CNN. So much better than CNN. This, this is, is a real question, Sonny, because you talked about Succession the other day with somebody on one of your shows, and this is a real question. How many people watch Succession? Because I get the people talk about it like it's girls, you know, which was was flooded the entire culture, but fifteen yeah. people watched. Is that what I'm Succession not going to listen to Sonny disparage the Succession in favor of like Yellowstone or something right now as a way to be on the side of the people? Succession is watched by about 3 million people live and 7 to 8 million people live plus 6 which That's is a lot which is about That's which is lot. 1 1 to 2% of the population at any given time is watching it's literally a show for the 1% it's fine which is fine that's fine that is more than i thought that is more it's than more than, than girls. Okay, girls was it. definitely a girls was a show that got watched yeah. by like fewer people as it went along and also that comparison makes me want to reach for the screen like girls uh, which i also watched and which actually was good a little bit and said something but like Nowhere close to as good as Succession is. Succession is a phenomenal television show. Girls is actually the best show that HBO put on in the middle part of the the first twenty years of this this century. I mean, it's it is the it is the defining look at uh, a certain class of. We're, we're getting off track here, but it is the defining show about a certain class of millennial like intellectual economy type and how miserable they were because they. Uh, rejected tradition and embraced modernity. It's like the most, it's the most radically traditionalist show on TV. That's Thank you, Ross Douthat. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. The Ross Douthatian position on this show. That's great. One of its stars' father was an MSNBC, an NBC anchor for a long time, and now we're back to news. Go ahead, okay. I transition for you, JBL. Thank you. So here's what I, I, what I really want to talk about with the CNN stuff is Tim Alberta. Um, okay. So here is a, a peek behind the curtain about how journalism works. One of the difficulties of being a journalist who engages in profiling, which is when you go out and do deep dives and write a piece telling the story of a figure, is that you have to make your profiles worth it, but you also have to finish them in such a way that the next subject you approach will agree to sit with you. And Tim Alberta's total balls out like, I'm just going to go for this one, and I don't care if nobody else ever talks to me again, was so impressive. Because the impulse with people who write big profiles like this is to add cover. You know, I don't just mean be fair, 
but to tell maybe not all the story, but tell most of the story, but then try to alibi the subject in the end a little bit, because you do have to think about the next one. And I got to think that Tim Alberta is never going to get anybody else to ever agree to cooperate with a profile with him ever again. And I respect the hell out of that. I think this is misunderstanding how much subjects in the Chris Licht stratosphere like to have people follow them around and listen to their bullshit. I mean, I like having their careers ruined. If I was a very famous person reading this profile, I would just be saying, well, I would simply not let him come with me to the gym and destroy myself. Just quick question. Do you know do you know what Tim Alberta's last profile was before this? Was it uh, Pete Mayer? You know, it might have been, but that's not the one I'm thinking of. So he did one on Nikki Haley. He was with Nikki Haley. Oh, yeah, that is more. That is more recent. And it was also devastating to her. It broke all the news about her flip-flopping back and forth on Trump and made her look pathetic. And there was nothing good about it for her because he had her after January 6th. So, like, I don't know. I I agree with Sonny. He will live to profile again. Here's the difference. Nikki Haley, like all political narcissists, can tell herself that, oh, but at least, you know, at least they wanted to do it of me and I'm still running and my campaign is better for the exposure and I didn't like the way he treated me. But all the Chris Licht has had his life ruined. This guy will never work again. <laughs> right. I mean, he's he's unhirable. He's publicly defenestrated. He's humiliated. He can't go to Mendy's or whatever, whatever. I don't know where people like him dine. Um, the Brown Derby, is that- you know, without being laughed at. Right. No, he's uh, he will never run a network again, but he'll be a, he'll I, he will run a show again at some point. Somebody will hire him to be a showrunner uh-uh. and he'll be able to he'll be able uh-huh. to do the, you know, Colbert light sort of thing because yeah, I don't know. I think also, I, I assume he won't need to work again because his go away money is going to be sufficient that he won't need to worry about that. Reading that profile, I felt a lot of empathy for Licht. Frankly, because I, 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 you look at, I did too. you look at a guy, I you look too. at a guy who's in, you look at a guy yeah. who's been put in an impossible situation. And then there are these little anecdotes in it that I was like, that, that is just like me. Like the, the one where, uh, it's the Christmas party at cafe Milano or whatever. And he like, and he's, he's sitting he, in the corner, not speaking to anybody, just looking he, at Dylan Byers as puck column. You about don't him. identify with that JBL. That doesn't he very <laughs> briefly says hi to everybody. And then he goes, stands in the corner and looks at his phone about the mean stories about him. That's me. And that's you. You, JBL, that's you. That's, that's you at the Bulwark Live event, the happy hour. We, you were in the corner. You were uh, avoiding looking people, at my phone. trying to just looking at looking Mm-mm. at emails. Uh, come on, come on. If you don't feel a twinge, not of because pity I was there. obsessing about what people were saying about me. No, no, I do not. Anyway, Tim Alberta, great piece. And uh, the other thing he did is he really executed in the. This is you know I always tell young writers when I'm giving advice about this sort of thing. If you really want to kill somebody, then you can't kill them, right? You can't be intentional. You know, the the real murderers are all ones that are just very hands up being super fair and, you know, giving the guys the benefit of the doubt. Because when it looks like you're out to destroy somebody, then you always leave readers with a little like, well, I don't know. The author was kind of really gunning for him. You see this, it's just, ugh, homicide. You Did you think he was gunning for him? Because I, I actually thought... Tim Alberta went into this. I bet the reason Lick did it. I bet Tim Alberta went into this with genuine sympathy for the idea of trying to not engage in the outrage, the tribal outrage fest of the other two channels, of that experiment, and probably wanting him to succeed and then watching it up close and going, oh, this is all wrong. And I think that the CNN town hall was a culmination of 
watching the collision course between the decent intentions and like the horrible execution. Because I agree with Sonny that it is fair to do a town hall with the person who is leading the Republican field. And as a business matter, as a way to kick off the idea that like you're about to hold town halls with all the candidates, like come to CNN, we're the place who's going to hold the town hall. It was the audience that was the big misfire, right? It was the stacking the audience. And it was there, it was in the piece. So I didn't know this. I think I, one of the things that I thought like, man, you guys did know. They knew how Trumpy that audience was. Yeah. And that I think was unfair to Caitlin Collins. And this is also in the piece. And I think it would have been as unfair to Jake Tapper or anybody else where it wasn't like one-on-one with Trump. You were in Trump's house. Like he wasn't in your house. You were in his. And so like, that's a programming misstep. That is a showrunner misstep. And so there was that execution that I think was the kind of thing that was like, he's not doing this well. He's not, he's just not doing it right. Totally agree. And I don't think Alberta was out to get him. I think uh, it is almost certainly right, as you say, that Tim was like there to do a profile of an interesting guy in an interesting position. You know, the piece was very fair. There were clearly a lot of knives out for Licht, though. And, and Alberta talked to all of those people with their, with their blades unsheathed. He did, but I don't think Tim was using them as stand-ins for what he was trying to do. He played this pretty well down the middle, and that's, in the end, what makes it so devastating. Okay, big, big week in our presidential primary. Chris Sununu is out. Chris Christie is in. Mike Pence is on his way in. He's in the middle of hopping over the fence. I'm writing about Chris Christie today. Uh, I wrote about Chris Sununu yesterday. Sonny, what do you think? Are you, are you happy with these guys? Are they all making good choices? I don't know. Does it I matter? Mean, I don't I don't think it I don't think it matters is is the long and the short of it. I mean, I the person I still have the most contempt for in 2016 is Chris Christie and his whole tough guy. I'm I'm here to be the truth teller. I'm not going to BS anybody and then just caping for Donald Trump by attacking everybody else in the field. And then he's doing that again. He's going to do it again. He's going to do it again. And this is (laughs) and this is why I this is why I really actually hate him more than and I I always used to be a modest Chris Christie fan. I like I like, you know, the idea kind of Republican. I like the idea of the liberal ish Republican from New Jersey who likes Bruce Springsteen and, you know, just says it how it is. And shuts takes down on the, the teachers' unions. Shuts and, down the bridges yeah. to hurt his enemies. I like that. I like that sort of thing. But the his utter cowardice in 2016 made me angry for a long time. And I just look at him now and I think you're gonna do it again. You're gonna you're gonna screw us again. And I know it. I know it because you're a coward. You're not actually gonna take on Donald Trump like you say you're going to. And the first time he makes fun of you, you're gonna collapse into a, a pool of jello. I'm more interested in your take on Chris Sununu, uh, JBL, because your whole newsletter uh, yesterday was about Sununu lying to people, basically. Mm-hmm. Sununu lying and saying things that aren't aren't true to Republican voters and to, to everybody else. Don't you think it is actually more honest for him now to say, I'm getting out because we need to coalesce behind somebody. It can't be me because I'm obviously not going to win, even though I had a clear path. I had a clear, obvious path to victory. He had a clear path to victory, Sonny. What are you talking about? He just chose not to because he thought he could do more good by working inside the system. Makes a lot of sense to me. I could beat Donald Trump by myself, but I've decided to just help somebody else. Exactly. Thanks, Chris. 
I do think that's actually probably true, though. I mean, I think that, like, the, the Kristen Unus of the what? world is uh, should not be in the race, really. Like, Kristen Unu, there's no reason for Kristen Unu to be in this race. He has no chance to win. Uh, a Glenn Youngkin might have more of a chance to win. Or who's the your guy from Georgia? Brian, Brian Kemp. Kemp. Brian Kemp could theoretically at least has a, a path to victory. But guys like Kristen Unu or Chris Christie, frankly, don't and should probably get out of the race as soon as possible. No? Am I wrong? Sarah? Uh, no, you're right. Um, I actually agree with Sonny that Sununu... So here's the thing. So I have... I'll, let me unwrap my theory about this. But like, I think that it was right of Sununu to recognize that this guy didn't have a shot and he should get out. JBL's newsletter was really interesting. I read the whole thing, every word. Wow, uh, thank you. And and we can dig into it more on The Secret on Friday because I, I didn't totally agree with your assessment of why Sununu sort of decided now to get out. Like uh, that, you know, he had been saying, Trump's not going to be the nominee. Trump's not going to be the nominee. And I think that for a while there, it was fair for a bunch of these guys who were looking at the race to be like, you know, Trump's really weak. Somebody can get after him. Sununu is a, is a governor of New Hampshire, hates Ron DeSantis, I'm sure, the way colleagues don't like Ron DeSantis. And I bet he's looking at Ron DeSantis being like, this guy's your number two choice? How is that possible? I can be the number two choice. And I can be the one. I can beat DeSantis. And if there's that big open lane to defeat Trump, that'll happen. So I could see him thinking that way. And what's happened over the last three, four months is not just Trump's acceleration in the polls, but also sort of the collapse of DeSantis in a way, though, that doesn't make it clear that like somebody else could fill that role against Trump. And I, I just think it's totally fair to have looked at this thing and gone, it does nobody any good for me to get in, especially now the field's gotten more crowded. I mean, you just said the three people who are getting, you didn't even mention the governor of North Dakota, Burgum. Yeah, no, Burgum. 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 That's uh, not a real person. <laughs> it is. I get a calls from reporters being like, what do you think of Burgum? And I was like, where's North Dakota? Like, I, I, actually, I'm just kidding. I don't mean that. North Dakota's great. I'm sure Fargo is there. Great movie. Anyway, I think it's fair for him to get out. I think that the weird one is actually Pence. So, like, Christie's got a theory of the case, which is, I want to go destroy Trump. What if, JBL, you gave him a really charitable read? Or, or Sonny. And he wanted to atone. Like, maybe he sits up at night and watches the videos of him in that hostage situation standing behind Trump totally cucked and thinks, I got to redeem myself from that. That haunts me forever. It haunts my dreams. And I'm going to go, I'm going to tell the truth and I'm going to run a kamikaze campaign right at the guy because I see in the market, not a cohort of voters, but in the market, a desperate need for somebody to go throw haymakers at Donald Trump and like tell the truth about him. So if you give him that read, I like the idea of Chris Christie being in there because nobody else is doing that. Right. I'll tell you what, if he does that, I take it all back. Did you watch his town hall? No, I didn't. So he did this town hall in New Hampshire. It hits a little weird, but he is calling Trump's family like the most corrupt grifters. He's talking about the two billion of Saudi money. He's talking about Trump running up the debt. And he talks, you know, he's really going after him. And I think the one thing in terms of critiques of Trump that has never really been tried or at least hasn't been tried for a long time since 2016, is actual Republicans talking to actual Republican voters in no uncertain terms, no shading, no, you know, I'm not even going to say his name, straight after Trump. And I don't know what effect that's going to have, but I would like to see somebody do it, and I, I'm going to applaud him getting in. It's the Pence's of the world 
the Pences of the world who are totally delusional about what their role could be. I don't think Chris Christie thinks, maybe he does. Maybe there's probably one thinks, no, sure, sure, I could win this. People are here for me and my pre-2016, no chance. But Pence, they loathe. So important note here, I think, uh, Maggie Haberman's piece about the Christie Town Hall. She was not able to locate any people present at that town hall who were Republicans. Yeah. They were all independents and Democrats. And Chris Christie is going to get a lot of time on CNN and MSNBC. It's true. Not sure he'll be booked on, booked on Fox very often. Not, it's not clear to me how Republican voters are going to hear Chris Christie's Barbaric yelp of truth. We'll see. Look, I agree with this. And if he wants absolution for his sins, he should have to go and buy an indulgence like everybody else. <laughs> That's how it works. I don't know if you no, guys knew that. this is fine. This is uh, fine for him. No, it is fine. It is fine. So I here's what I, I'll give you a little preview of the newsletter so that you don't have to, to read today's. Thanks. Uh, so my first Christie profile was in 2009. That's how long I've been on this train. And this Christie, the Christie who showed up at the town hall yesterday, was the 2009 version of Christie who beat John Corzine, which is not the Christie Godzilla, right? The Christie Zilla who went viral on YouTube, that was a creation that appeared after he had been in office for like 18 months. Um, his, his original pitch against Corzine was that he was the totally competent reformer who just talked calmly and you know, cogently about the world as it was. And there was no theatrics. There were no histrionics. He was not a divider at all. He was very much a uniter. And that's what he showed off yesterday. And I thought that that was interesting. Cards on the table. I do not, I do not care for, for Governor Christie. But, uh, you know, I, I closed out the piece on Sununu by saying, you know, T Tucker in his Twitter thing three weeks ago or whatever said, you know, you, you got to just, Tell the truth, you know, quietly and and without embarrassment. And Chris Anunu is not willing to do that, or at least has not been willing to do that yet. That does seem to be what Christie is trying to do. And that's interesting. And if he continues to do it, it'll be interesting to see if it registers at all. I think people are putting too much stock on the, the idea of him on a debate stage destroying Trump. Trump can't be destroyed on a debate stage because it's all incoherent, right? I mean, you get destroyed on a debate stage when somebody boxes you in with logic or something and you're you, like, he just goes straight ahead and it's always incoherent and it always is embarrassing. It's been that way since his first debate, you know, where he didn't know what the nuclear triad was. It was like that in the debates against Hillary Clinton, which he lost all three debates terribly. It was like that. in the. Do you remember the first Biden debate where he just was screaming and everyone was like, what is this? Like, Chris Christie's not going to destroy Trump and go kamikaze on a debate stage because that's not how this works. And that's not how voters, especially Republican voters, respond to Trump. Also, the chances of there being a debate stage in which both of those men are on it is pretty low. Like the threshold that Christie will have to clear to get on the debate stage will, might be tough for him. Maybe he'll poll above one percent. But also Trump is probably not going to debate in those early days that has all those guys on it. Like he's going to, I think he already said he's going to skip the first two. I don't, this is like an aside, but Rana and the RNC put out their, their rules for the debates. And, you know, it's like everyone has to sign the pledge to support the nominee. Well, that's idiotic. Like Donald Trump's not going to make a pledge to support the eventual nominee. That's not him. He never has. Or uh, he will. And then he'll disregard it. Like that's, you know, yeah, it's not what real. Gonna, what are you going to do? Throw him in yeah. jail? Yeah. If he stays over 50% in the polls, like, 
there might not even be uh, debates. There's like a kids tape, maybe kids, some kids table debates, undercard debates. But like where these indictments come down and he gets really spooked. I don't know. Many things could happen, but I just think it's unlikely that Chris Christie has the onstage debate shot at Trump that people imagine. Pence, you guys are both totally dismissive or Sonny is dismissive of Pence. Are you dismissive also, Sarah? I'll only say this in the last I don't know, however many months that I've been doing focus groups where I've been asking about potential their potential Republican field. Nobody is held with more contempt among Republicans than Mike Pence with Nikki Haley, with Tim Scott. They're not that interested in voting for them, but they think they're nice. They like them. With Mike Pence, people think that he is a traitor. He is disloyal. He's boring. He's milquetoast. Even the people who are like, he is a very nice guy. He would make a great neighbor, but he should leave politics. McKay Coppins sat in on a couple and he had called me and been like, have you done any with evangelicals with Pence? And I was like, you know, there's lots of evangelicals generally in the groups. And I was like, I've got no takers on Pence, but you're welcome. We'll do we'll do a couple full groups of evangelicals and feel free to watch. And like his piece ended up being titled Nobody Likes Mike Pence. And I was just like, I told you, like he listened to them and it's brutal. What they I, said. I don't understand why Mike Pence is doing this to himself. I don't understand. Like, I don't understand set aside the politics of it. I don't understand the business of it. Like, is he is he trying to set himself up as a talking head? Because I don't I just don't I don't understand any of it. Is he trying to sell copies of his book? What is the point of what he is doing to himself? Is it self-flagellation? Is he doing this as a as penance for for four years of being Donald Trump's vice president? I just I don't understand. I don't understand. And it's too bad because Pence is look on January 6th. Pence was the one guy who like could have really fucked everything up and was like, no, this is obviously wrong. I'm not doing it. Credit for that. Well, but. he made a few phone calls to check with people to just double check that he couldn't, well, in fact, overturn it. You guys are sure can't do this, right? The point is, point is he but didn't. But I agree with you, Sonny. I agree it's, with you. It's yeah. too bad, I guess. But also, like, why Why even, why do this? Why do this to yourself? Did you guys ever read Stranger in a Strange Land? It's a 70s sci-fi classic. Uh, yeah. yeah. For me, the big twist in it is that there is a evangelical Christian character who is a pastor of like a futuristic version of a megachurch who is this giant grifter and buffoon. And midway through the book, this character dies and our narrative viewpoint shifts to heaven. And this guy's in heaven because he was right about everything. Like all the stuff he was saying was actually true. And like half the book takes place in heaven and the rest of the book takes place back on earth. And it's a very funny piece of business. But I think about that a lot with Mike Pence. Like maybe he just really believes, like actually believes all this stuff that when, you know, when we hear talk about how Pence believes that God wants him to run for president, that he just feels like, yeah, this is, he's like, he's Job. And he is being asked to do this thing and he's going to go do it and just trust that it'll all work out because the Lord provides and God bless him. I don't know. I feel like a crazy person. Because I take the Mike Pence January 6th stuff really, really seriously. I give him way more credit for it than most Americans seem to. It does seem to me to have been tremendously brave and unbelievably important. And he seems to be the only Republican. I mean, here's, here's the thing. The number of Republicans who have been willing to blow up their careers to stop Trump is like 11 people long. It's uh, Kinzinger and Cheney and Gonzalez, right? Romney, maybe. Romney a little bit. And Mike Pence is on that list. And I understand that it was after he did all this other stuff. Yep. But he blew up his entire life for this country. And 
Everybody else is like, what do you want? He didn't break the law. Do you, you, know, do you want to give him a cookie? And I, yes, I want to give him a cookie because he didn't destroy the Republic. And he paid for that with, you know, this is a guy who's been running for president since he was six years old. And he blew that up in order to protect American democracy. And I would like to give him a cookie. Okay, golf. We have to talk about golf because... This is the, the part where I go to sleep. Well, maybe we won't talk about the... Should. You guys had a very interesting conversation in which I learned a lot about... You literally uh, weren't here. You didn't hear any of it. You were off camera. I had camera. my AirPods in. I had my AirPods oh, in. I could hear the whole conversation. All right. So, uh, short version. The PGA is like NASCAR or Major League Baseball or the ATP. It's a, a lousy monopolist. And a couple of years ago, the Saudis decided with their sovereign wealth fund to set up a competitor to it called Live Golf. I don't understand what Live stands for. I had always thought it was a Roman numeral, not not actual letters. Uh, and the two companies were embroiled in a little bit of court drama concerning antitrust law. Live lured away some of the more craven and crass PGA players who are over the hill, like Phil Mickelson. And it looked like PGA had the whip hand in all of this and that the PGA was going to succeed. And then all of a sudden yesterday, it was announced a merger, which in this case really means that Live Golf has purchased the PGA. And it feels weird to have an American sports league owned by Saudi royals. And it feels weird because this seems to have come out of nowhere. Uh, you know, this is not like the Saudis coming and purchasing a franchise. Yeah. It's, it's buying an entire league. And Sonny, please go. Part of what's interesting here is that the PGA is not like the MLB or NFL, right? In, insofar as the PGA is essentially a union of the, the actual players. Like it's it's set up in a very weird and different sort of way. So like in the, uh, I don't know if you've talked about BlackBerry on this show, but we watched BlackBerry, JBL, we talked about it. And one of the what, there's a subplot in that movie about how one of the owners of BlackBerry wanted to buy the Penguins and move them to Edmonton and blah, blah, blah. But the NHL could stop that because the owners could just come together and vote and say, no, you don't get to be an owner. You don't get to move the team. The PGA is different because it's just made up of the players. So when the Saudis came in and offered Phil Mickelson, you know, $300 million or whatever obscene amount of money they, they threw at him to get him to go to the live and Greg Norman and all of these other guys to like set up this competitor league. All they had to do was pick off some top talents again and throw them just insane amounts of money. And you know what golfers like? Golfers like money. I've heard golfers that. really, really like money. They, they like money in a way that I can only imagine liking money. I mean, I like money, but I don't have the opportunity to sell myself to the Saudis for $300 million yet. Is that because they want to buy more golf clubs? Like what do, why do they like money more than everybody else? Do you know what you can do with money? You can buy giant houses. I don't know. I don't you can buy cars. And happiness. You can buy, you can buy your own golf happiness. course and play on it and keep the <laughs> keep the rabble out and have, I don't know, Jack Nicholas come in and design it for you. Gotta have dreams. Gotta anyway, have dreams. So what they did was they just picked off some of the top players and the PGA got very, very protective of but this. But has been top players. These are has been players. They picked, off, they picked off some good Greg ones. Greg Norman are 90,000 years old. They picked off some good ones too. Again, I, I haven't been following this as closely as as I probably should have been because like you, I assumed that PGA, the PGA had basically won, that they had fended off this challenge. This was the NFL versus the USFL. 
to my mind. Yes, except, except then suddenly the USFL buys the NFL. <laughs> yeah, and it's different than that because the NFL is a team sport. You have to have teams of people right. who can, and the PGA is very explicitly not. It, it, think about this from a tennis perspective, right? If the Saudis came to Novak Djokovic and were like, we're going to give you a billion dollars to be in our Saudi tennis league and you won't have to get that vaccine and you can just play in the domes of Dubai and we'll give you all this money and we'll get other people to come and play with you and it'll be like, that would be an actual competitive challenge to, I don't know, the ATP and and how that that is organized. But with teams, you can't really do that. You, you just can't, you can't buy enough people to create a good team. Okay. Um, anyway, as you say, I was kind of surprised that this happened because, I mean, the PGA is really kind of screwing all of their members who said no to the Saudi money. You know, you, there were two ways to look at it. You could say, well, this was a principled stand. We're not going to take Saudi blood money to or it was just like we like the PGA as it is and we want the PGA to exist and we're staying with the PGA for that reason. And the PGA just said, ah, we're going to take money. We're going to take the money and we're going to probably distribute it more or less evenly amongst everybody or at least amongst the winners. And that's that's all going to work out. I don't know. I'm surprised by this. For reasons, JBL, that we were talking a little bit about before, we talked about CNN and CNN's monetary difficulties. CNN is in, is in a weird position because the cable bundle is collapsing and CNN gets a lot of its money from advertising, but also from being on every cable network. They get what are called affiliate fees. They get the PGA is like the NFL or the NBA or the other sports leagues in that they have a package. They have a product that they can sell at increasing levels every two years when rights deals come up. In theory, they are very well positioned to make more and more money for the league. They are not like CNN, where they have a kind of a depreciating asset. They have an asset that should be appreciating. And to make this deal now, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. And if I was a PGA player who isn't Phil Mickelson, I'd be furious. And I am very curious to see if regular Americans who watch the PGA Tour care about this at all, or if it's just a thing that becomes background noise over the next six months to five years. Yeah, I mean, I think they'll just keep calling it the PGA. Right. It'll just be the PGA. But it'll be owned by yeah. the Saudis, right? This is that's great. Well, you know, there's there's no better class of people in the world than uh, oil princes. They're salt of the earth and they're they're good people. They work hard. They've got good morals. It's uh, I think I think those types of oligarchs are really, really in the up and up. That's awesome. <sighs> Sarah, you're awake. Great job. Yeah. Um, all right. Very quickly, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Do you want to talk a little bit about this? this? Is on our map. Well, what is it that that she's getting in fights with the other lunatics because she's she's gone mega establishment? Yeah, the other lunatics are unhappy because she's gone establishment. Do you have thoughts on that, Sarah? Uh, it sort of goes back to the conversation we were having about the normalization of Marjorie Taylor Greene, and on the one hand, it has some affirmative value for things like the debt limit fight having her be on McCarthy's side and giving him cover for a certain, you know, a big part of what is like a, un, a not particularly interested in governing performative wing of the party and saying, you know, she and Jim Jordan jumping in on his behalf. Like there's elements of that that are good in moments where you really need Republicans to govern a majority of them. On the flip side, the normalization of Marjorie Taylor Greene and the mainstreaming of her in the party is a reflection of what a bad place the Republican Party is in. And the fact that Kevin McCarthy needs her just as much as she needs him is also sort of a devastating indictment of the state of the party. And, you know, I understand that the reason they're mad at her, though, is because she is 
the most high profile member of their like crazy cabal and they need her to help drive attention for themselves as they try to have this insurrectionist wing of the party. And she's basically robbing them of that opportunity. So it doesn't surprise me that there's bad blood there. But this is one of those things where everyone in this situation is bad and there's nothing good to say about any of them. So, well, <laughs> let's hear the contrary position on Marjorie Taylor Greene being good. I don't know that I believe this. I'm I'm I am proposing it for us to discuss. I'm not I'm not I'm not going to defend this position. I, it's like one of those resolutions in the Cambridge debate, Oxford Debating Society, right? Proposed. Marjorie Taylor Greene seems to honestly believe all the things she says, which automatically puts her in a better class of human being than 90% of the the people who go along with the MAGA stuff even though they don't believe in any of it. She seems to be a genuine kook, if that makes any sense. And if she is a genuine kook who is being co-opted by the establishment and is slowly maybe turning into more of a grown-up who is going to participate in governing with the seat that has been entrusted to her by the great, good, and wise people of Georgia, that's a good thing. Like, it's not a perfect thing. Everybody wishes that it could be, you know, that she could be represented by by uh, Will Hurd, right? It would be better if Will Hurd held that seat. But he doesn't, and she does. And all things being equal, like, it's better that she's riding with Kevin McCarthy than, you know, standing with Steve Bannon. Good for Marjorie Taylor Greene. I'm Ron Burgundy. Uh, it depends on whether or not you think it is better that now sort of like as opposed to her being a fringe element, she is like the mainstream sort of mean Republican elected official. If you're cool with that, because uh, I think that says something very, very bad about where we are. No doubt. <laughs> it's not good. I just just saying that I think all three of us are basically I mean, institutionalists, right? Yeah, I think your point is like perfectly well taken. I'm just not going to go around giving these people credit. I'll give Mike Pence credit. I will give Mike, but I'm not giving Marjorie. What is it? You do not, under any circumstances, got to hand it to Marjorie to Taylor Greene. We've been doing that on this show for three weeks. Yeah. As JBL says, politics is the art of the possible. So it, you, you got you do have to hand it to Kevin McCarthy for getting that deal done. I I know you don't listen to this show. No, Sonny, I know that's what I'm saying you, though. You I'm, I'm trying to bring. Thing, but on this show, we have been handing it to Kevin McCarthy for three weeks, what... and we were a little concerned that we're going to get him in trouble by talking about how proud we are of the good job he's doing as an institutionalist. That's what I'm saying though. Like it's not you don't have to hand it to Marjorie Taylor Greene for being slightly less insane. You do have to hand it to Kevin McCarthy for pulling together a coalition that got the thing done, even if it cost him the most important. I, I don't care about the debt limit. Not an interesting thing to me. It cost him the Stove Act. You it cost him the the, <laughs> they, the the Freedom Caucus tanked the gas stove protection measures that were out of spite. And that's what really got to me. That's that's what that's Are you sure it was out of spite. Not because they're concerned about principled the objection. environmental effects of gas. I don't stoves? know. I, hard to say. Hard to say. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you would have cared about the debt limit if they defaulted yeah, on it. I, I, I guess. I probably would have. But, you know, <laughs> a, a fiscal economic collapse sounds bad, but also sounds bad. Taking away my gas stove. I want I want the stove so, forever. Sonny, so now that the Freedom Caucus has tanked the stove thing, yeah. do we ever have to hear about this, the, the great gas stove wars again? Because if it was serious, if this was a real thing and not a ginned up culture war, then the Freedom Caucus would have passed it, right? Just another strike against the Freedom Caucus in my book. I have enemies 
and the Freedom Caucus is high on that list. So I'm going to make a prediction. I will bet. I don't even a bet. I'm just going to you don't have to give anything up. I am simply going to say as a matter of course that if we are ever in a point where the government makes it impossible for you, Sonny Bunch, to own a gas stove, I will buy your induction stove for you because I'm fairly confident that you are never going to have your gas stove taken from you. I'm, rec- I'm it's not I'm a real getting thing. this clip and I'm saving it because I'm going to get a real nice induction stove. I'm going to send you the bill in five <laughs> years when they're when the you know, the FBI comes to my house to rip out my gas stove. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It does sound like they would deploy the FBI. That's the, Redi- the redditors right. are screaming right now at me. They're, they're they are they are writing the angriest <laughs> comments. Right wing kook. They're not coming to your house. I know. God. <laughs> uh, that's uh, they'll do that after the North Carolina participation trophy squad gets done. You know, going around making sure nobody in little league sports gets a participation <laughs> trophy in North Carolina. All right, guys, good show, long show. Everybody, thanks for being with us. Sonny, thanks for sitting in for Tim. Uh, Hit subscribe, hit the thumbs up, uh, give us a like and a follow, leave a review, and then go to thebulwark.com. Sign up to get all of Sonny's fantastic stuff. If I could just give a quick plug, I was catching up on Sonny Bunch Bulwark Goes to Hollywood stuff, and your conversation with the entertainment strategy guy was so good. So good. it's a real it's a real and, get. Uh, it's his first podcast he's ever it done. Is. It's first, I'm, I'm, like this. Anyway, if you care at all about like the business of Hollywood, you ought to be listening to Sonny's stuff and reading everything he does. And you can get it all for free at the All right, guys, we will see you on Sunday with the uh, bonus show. Bye. <laughs>